You're listening to Artistic Finance Show 150. Today's show is two interviews. The first with actor Freddie Walker Brown. Some of the topics covered are debt is the devil for arts workers, purchasing property without a mortgage, and Freddie's money mindset gleaned from Rich Dad Poor Dad and Jackass Three. The second interview is with mortgage expert Javi Khan. Topics include mortgages, mortgage rates, pre-approval, and how much you can afford. The advantage of mortgages, even if you have the cash to purchase a property outright, and the hiccups for those that are on 1099 income or self-employed. These interviews are hosted by stage director John Lampy. John and I worked together in 2007 on a production of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, and we worked again last fall on a one-act festival for his theater company. Also, last night the Tony Awards were announced. Congratulations to Tim Lufkin for Life of Pi. I haven't seen it, but I remember seeing photos from the West End production, and it looked amazing. Also, congrats to Natasha Katz for Some Like It Hot. This was an interesting year because Natasha was also nominated for Sweeney Todd, but she won the award for Some Like It Hot. I'd like to point out that our friend of the podcast, previous guest Greg Barnes, also earned a Tony Award last night. For best costume design of a musical for that same show, some like it hot. Without further ado, let's get to the show. You are listening to Artistic Finance, where we help creatives learn about the business of show business. Welcome, folks. Thanks for joining us, and thank you for listening. I'm your guest host for this episode of Artistic Finance. My name is John Lampy. I'm an actor, a director, and the artistic director of And Theater Company here in New York. And I am very, very happy to be joined today by the fabulous Freddie Walker Brown. Freddie, thanks for for doing this. Oh, thank you. That's a lovely introduction. I'm excited to、uh, talk to you and hear a little bit about your story and just a little peek behind the curtain here. Um, Ethan, who, as you know, is the the regular host of this, is also a St. Louis kid, as am I, as is Freddie. So it's nice to have a little、uh, right. STL in the house.、Hey. Exactly, exactly. A couple of Cards fans talking finances. So、uh, we are recording this on Saturday, March eighteenth, and today we are going to be talking about mortgages. And I'm very excited to talk to Freddie and to talk to a mortgage specialist a little later in the episode because I don't know anything about mortgages.、Uh, so I am certain to learn a lot, and I hope that you do too.、Uh, so Freddie, just getting started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?、Uh, we know you're from St. Louis, but yeah, who's Freddie Walker Brown? <laughs> uh, uh, I am a happy arts worker. I have been、uh, in show business most of my life. Uh, on stage, backstage,、um, uh, from production to creation, I, I love the art of storytelling, and so I've dedicated my life to it.、Um, I've been fortunate enough to、uh, be on Broadway in some amazing、um, vehicles.、Uh, I was in the original cast of Rent, and I was also in one of the first big touring companies of Lion King. And so I've been in that place where the business and the art meet each other in a glorious way.、Uh, it can happen. It's just you know you can't always expect it. <laughs> <laughs> so now、uh, um, I'm still in show business. I have my own little company, Big Spoon Productions, and you know we do whatever whatever the gig is, whatever the story is to be told, we tell it. If we're supposed to direct it, if we're supposed to be in it, if we're supposed to write it, if, it doesn't really matter. Uh, uh,、um, We just love doing it, and so I, I get out there, and wherever the gig is, that's what we do. And、uh, I'm proud to make my living as an arts worker. And、um, it's it's you know what in equity, I think you pay two percent dues because only two percent of actors are working at any given time. Think about the reality of that. And so you know, I am proud to be in that number, and、um, uh, work hard to get there, and also proud to teach others. That's something that、uh, I that's my pay forward. A thing called the Professional Skills for Artists series, and it's all about how to make a living and how to 
have a life in this business. Um, That's awesome. And you just recently closed a show, right? Yes, actually, uh, back on stage, uh, playing Lena in the 50th anniversary uh, production of Raisin. And that was kind of glorious, really. Yeah, very, very cool. And a very under, um, I think, underappreciated and underknown show with a beautiful score. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, uh, um, my fantasy is to be instrumental in changing that reality. I like that a lot. I'm looking forward to that. I also, I just want to note, I love the term you use, arts worker. Because mm-hmm. I think that that really embodies what we do more mm-hmm. so than just, you know, I make art to to make the art, but also I make art as work. And the, No, it's, this, it's our living, it's our profession and our vocation. And that makes it difficult when it's a vocation because, you know, it's so personal and so emotional and all of that, but baby, it's a $600 billion a year business. And honestly, I want my cut. I do. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I, I, I do. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the reasons why I like this podcast and why when Ethan asked me to guest host something, I wanted to jump at it because uh, as Freddie, as you and I have talked about before, I think a lot of times artists are taught art and not finance or not taught the business side of things. Uh, so anything that we can do to kind of destigmatize the the conversation about that, because hey, look at the end of the day, we all got to keep our lights on. You know? That's right. I <laughs> you know I came to terms with it completely, with no equivocations. After seeing Jackass Three, I went and saw Jackass Three because it was Jackass Three, and I had the clear understanding that that meant one and two made somebody some serious coinage. Mm-hmm. And I had to go for myself and see what this was. Spoiler alert. Dude takes a de facto literal shit on camera. They Ooh. called it a shit cano or some ridiculousness. I mean, I am down for sophomoric humor. Do not get it wrong, people. I'm no prude. I love me some South Park. I love a good fart joke. I am down for just you know, kind of dirty, weird, sketchy humor. I'm, I'm good with it. But this was just 100%. I was like, okay, okay. And at that moment, I, under, I clearly understood it. Because once again, the slogan of my whole uh, uh, series is it's not called show art. It's called show business. And they are making money. And they were making money off of literal crap. Actual yeah. crap. And I'm like, okay, okay. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Got it. <laughs> And that means that I'm, I got to get mine. I just got to figure out which and how far to the crap line I'm willing to go. <laughs> I, tried. Yeah. <laughs> I tried. I wrote a, I, I, I'm pitching a series called All My Baby Fathers. It's hilarious. It really is. And, you know, I tried. I was trying to write just some ignorant ghetto madness because I figured, you know, they love that. I was like, yeah, they love that. Okay. And I'm like, not really trying to, but, you know, and I couldn't do it. I was, I could not completely, I cannot sell out my people. I cannot sell out my ethic. I wrote this thing and here's the feedback I get. And I'm still getting, and this is the hilarious part. I can't believe it's so well written Uh, (laughs) with like shock. Right. And like this whole, like, how can we make this? It's too good. It's like, wait, this is, you know, got substance and wait, wait, because, you know, it's on its face. It pitches like some stupid ghetto show, which is I know they love to green light that stuff. They have plenty of them. Right. But baby, I'm like, wow. OK, wow. OK. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so there you are. Showbiz, baby. <laughs> so to, uh, <laughs> so would you say uh, in general that you are good or bad with money? And have you always been that way? Ooh. I am becoming better with money. I used to suck wind. Uh, money was one of my huge downfalls. My mom was an amazing woman and taught me a lot of things, but she sucked with money too. And I did not get really the education that I'm trying to pass on to my children and grandchildren. <laughs> Once again, Epiphany was reading one of the Rich Dad, Poor Dad books. When was that? That was maybe somewhere in the early 90s, in the early 90s, I think. And it took me a while to really start implementing things, but I, I, I understood the general concept. And that concept is, in order to have money, you cannot spend money on stupidity. You have to put money to work for you so that your money is making you money. And that is the concept at its very basic. How one implements that, there are several kinds of ways. But the mindset of understanding that is the most important thing. 
that them shoes, what, what did Oprah tell you? Oprah said, if it's on your ass, it's not an asset. Them shoes ain't doing you no good. They're hurting your feet and destroying your back, and they cost you too much money. Money that you didn't have is probably on a credit card that you were still paying interest for because why? Because you had to have some shoes? Rethink it, baby. Well, it's an interesting uh, making your money work for you and also not spending the money on frivolous stuff, but spending the money in order to make money or to hold on to money, which... No, not spending money, putting money to work. You never spend money. That's the whole idea. You don't spend money. You employ money (laughs) and you make money go to work for you. I like that. You employ the money to make the money work. And that leads me to mortgages. I don't know anything about mortgages. I rent my apartment. I have rented every apartment I've ever lived in. And I've never owned anything. But it's certainly something that I'm interested in. And I think probably a lot of listeners are as well. Uh, Certainly with artists. It's a tough thing in New York, especially, to actually own a place. And many, many artists find themselves renting forever and ever and ever. Uh, without ever accumulating uh, the equity of owning a home. So in addition to having just closed the show, you recently bought a new home, right? No, not a home, land. Land. So even a whole other step removed. So A whole other step removed. Can, can you tell me a little bit about that purchase and why you wanted to purchase land instead of an existing unit, an existing home? Okay, so longest of all stories, short as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Lifelong dream to have a working farm of some kind. Big, big picture is working farm that is also a film studio. That is, that's just like the big dream, but that's beyond. Right now is the personal, the home stead. And for a lot of reasons, uh, health, health, future concerns, climate, blah, blah, blah. Uh, We want to grow our own food. We want to process our own meat. We want to be in that place because that's essential, I think, to health on a lot of levels. This has been a lifelong desire. And we have been looking for somewhere here to do that for quite some time. And we came close a few times and got outbid and blah, blah, blah. And the whole time we've been doing our homework and doing our research and, you know what I mean, and getting the information, Mm -hmm. gathering information, gathering, becoming clearer and clearer on what we really want, blah, blah, right? And when it finally came down to it, it was like, all right, buy an old house in order to get the kind of land we need and the area we need to be in to have chickens and goats and the stuff we want to do, right? That meant we had to be in some sort of rural-ish situation. But then I'm still working. And so that means, you know, I was there, folks, for 9-11. And when I say there, I mean in front of the building as Tower 2 fell. That was the day I said, I don't care what you call me. I'm never living in the city again. Once I'm done with Lion King, I'm out. And so I drew a hundred mile circle around the city and said, I will live anywhere within that parameter, but I'm not ever living in the heart of New York City again, because I'm done. That was it. So the first, we drew the circle in the first time we ended up somewhere in Jersey and that just was kind of a happenstance and we were there for quite some time and then mom got sick and then I got hit by the car and blah da 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 and so you know you know everything has a positive every negative and positive they run concurrently so the positive side of that was that we got to rent a farm uh in central Jersey and it was very nice taking care of mom and I was healing my body we did it on this little five acre farm that we were renting and so we were hands on. We, ha- we got the chickens and we did it and we were doing it. And we were like, okay, yes, we want this. Okay. So the reality of what we wanted versus what we could afford, <laughs> right? Because we're both independent contractors and arts work. You know, he's an industrial arts worker. I'm a performing arts worker. The realities were, uh, and we have children, all kinds of things. So it's like, okay, where can we really afford to do what we want to do and not be in debt for the rest of our lives? Mm-hmm. Because one thing that I teach and one thing that I emphasize in my uh, series program, arts workers cannot be in debt. You cannot. It will destroy you doing the main thing you're supposed to do, which is be hustling up your next gig. If you are not free to do whatever is necessary to hustle up the next gig, then you won't be gigging, which means you will be doing some stupid day job, working on some paper hat job or something stupid that we will never get to where you're trying to go. So debt is the devil itself and you must run screaming from it immediately. Clear up all the debt that you have 
and I can teach you ways to do that, but clear it up and get it out because you have to. And then that way you can start putting your actual money to work for you. You can't do that when you have a ton of debt. Mm -hmm. So the debt is the first thing you must get rid of. And we were deciding we did not want to be in a ton of debt. So the question was, were we going to go into a, something? We knew we had to get out of the area we were in. We loved the area we were in, but it was just way too much money. To buy that place that we were in was at least half a million dollars. And that house needed a quarter million dollars of work easy. And that was the problem. Any old house that we actually bought and we could afford that had the land we wanted and blah, da da, was going to need a quarter million dollars worth of work. And we were like, hey, if we're going to spend a quarter million dollars, we might as well just build it. Because my husband's a builder. That's what he does. I'm like, well, we might as well just, you know, we might as well just build it. And then it'll be exactly what we want, the way we want it. And we're structuring it so that we have no debt at all. Mm -hmm. But that, is means some sacrifice that a whole lot of people are not willing to make. We are literally doing a homestead thing. Right now, we're living in a camper. We had no infrastructure on this land. We just got power. <laughs> and I'm hoping that within two months, we have water. But get this, the power has already doubled the investment. The water mm -hmm. will double it again. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, and I and love so, well, I was just gonna say I love I love the way that you couch that, that it is an investment that this purchase, it is an investment. Grandchildren. That's my that, North Star. That land's going to be around. My question for that was, so what, what was the process like when you decided that this is what you wanted to do and this is the method you wanted to do it? What were, like, what were the practical steps of going, okay, so we want to buy this land. Mm -hmm. From that idea, how did you get to, okay, we own this land, time to move the camper in and let's start getting things Okay, set well, it was supposed to be a tiny house first, but everybody died. So yeah, a lot of lot of drama last year. Mom died, sister died, two cash funerals, took all the tiny house money. But that is that was really the moment that we decided, okay, F this. If we keep paying rent and trying to stack up again and then and then, you understand, we'll be dead before we get started. So that's when we were just like, F it, let's go. So we started pricing. We had already done the Forester and you know the 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 um surveyor and all that. So we had our, our property lines and all that drawn out. And then we were pricing people to come do the land clearing and the prices that they were giving. My husband said, Oh hell no. And he bought himself a chainsaw baby and he cut down an acre worth of trees and it's the sexiest thing I ever saw in my life. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I got out there, I was husband, I've lost 25 pounds. I started pulling up, I built Twig Mountain. And started pulling, you know, branches and we're moving rocks. And it was some of the best. Oh, my gosh. This was all last March. We closed last March. And from March until now, we were just. And so now the power's in. And as soon as that snow melts, we're ready. Because we had already started a little mini garden. We planted mm -hmm. last year's garden in bags and took it up there with us. We started a little mini garden. We had to dispatch. Well, the, the chickens kind of self-dispatched. I think they felt it. They ate the rat poison. And I was like, what did you guys do that for? And so oh there was goodness. no way they could come with us. We had, it was terrible, but the, you know, I mean, animals are not stupid and they were like, nah, something crazy is happening and we can't. So they kind of hairy carried, which was really kind of crazy, but there you go. By fall, the goal is to have, the garden will definitely be done. The goal is to have one of the major structures, the shell of it up and have it plumbed, wired and plumbed. This is all by Thanksgiving. The garden's up structure the, just the shell of the structure is up it's wired plumbed the foundation for the house has begun and the chicken coop is built that is the goal for this year wow and then the house will finish sometimes next year but each part the, the thing about it is that as we do it each part is paid for so there's no debt each part of this is paid for as we go once the water goes in it's a big chunk of money but once it goes in it's in there's no water bill well it's once we put up that structure we're going to solar and wind once we do that no power bills well, there you go. It's an interesting thing because I think, at least for me as a person who lives in a, I think our building is like 111 years old. Uh, and, mm -hmm. you know, it, particularly in New York City, I think of housing as an existing bit of infrastructure because there's, you know, by necessity in New York, there's just only so much room to build something new. Well, I mean, location, it, this is a matter of location and lifestyle, Okay. You have to ask, all of you out there, you have to ask yourselves, what kind of life do I really want? And I always suggest seeing yourself old and going backwards. What do I want? What does that look like? And then you start working backwards so you can work to that. You see what I mean? I always mm -hmm. knew I wanted a farm. I wanted a rural day-to-day -day existence, not a city day. I like the city to come and play and work. I love it. Come get your check. Now I get to go. I get to go back to my chickens. And you know what I mean? And I enjoy that. But not that's not for everyone. Mm -hmm. You have to know within yourself what kind of life do I really want? How do I see this? 
How do I see myself getting up every morning? Where am I doing my laundry? Right? What does what does making a meal look like, feel like? Do I cook? Do I care about that? You see what I mean? What amenities do I need? You have to get very clear about this. And then you start figuring out, okay. I mean, like when I teach my thing, I'm always talking about it's just, it's about because as arts workers, this is all connected to your market city and which market city you want to work in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you start back with that. It's like, okay, where is the work I want to do? Which market city has that work? Which market city that has that work has the lifestyle that I like the most, right? And then can I do like the ring around the city? Can I can I be city adjacent? Can I be market adjacent and still work? If that's the kind of life I want, right? So right. once you gain that out, then you start looking for real estate. Because yeah. <laughs> there's no point in looking for real estate until you know what you really want and how you want to live. If you decide you want to live in the city, then you better have city money because you're going to have tiny, tiny, tiny for a whole, whole lot of money. That to me is annoying. I just was, I was never ever, I was like, no, I can't. I can't have little, this little box with like a million dollars and have to share walls with people. No. And then have like a board or somebody telling me what I could do and not do it. No, hell no, no. That just made me mad. The whole idea of that made me mad. And I knew I was never doing that. But that's mm-hmm. once again, that's me. That's not everybody. So you have to know what you want out of your life. Then you go looking for real estate. Good advice. And it's the, it seems like the right direction or the right way to go about that. Uh, now, you, you mentioned you closed last March. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. March so 30th, not over, the, over the last almost year owning this plot of land, how has that relationship with the mortgage been? What can you talk? There's me no through? mortgage. There is no mortgage. There's no mortgage. What? There's no mortgage. Did you hear me? There is no debt. I keep trying to explain this to you. Everything is paid for. There is no mortgage. See, okay. Now let's dig in on that. Is this is this the first home or first plot of land that you've owned? Have you ever had a mortgage before? No. Wow. I told you, I don't believe in debt. I'm an actor. I'm an arts worker. I can't have debt. I don't know where my next job is coming from. I can't have debt. I don't have it. I can't have it. Now, ask me if I spent the money. Did you spend the money? No. What was the beginning of our conversation? Not to spend money, but to employ the money. There you go. go. Can you talk me then through the process of of buying outright? That's Um, easy. Cash. (laughs) Cash king, baby. I got cash here. Boom. There you go. Okay, you can buy it. There you go. Boom. There's it. No credit check, no nothing. Got cash? Okay. Wow. So just all cash, all up front. And now it's I'm cash credit when you got cash. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's cash. Incredible because I cash do is think, a beautiful thing. you know, we are so, and this is something uh, for our listeners that we'll be talking about more kind of in the, the back half of the episode when I talk about mortgages with a mortgage specialist. Um, but mortgages, that's seems to be kind of the norm in homeownership. That's some of course it that, is. Of course it is. Debt is the norm in our society. And do you think that's an accident? <laughs> Who makes money off of all of us being in debt? Of course, exactly. It ain't us, is it? No, it's right. Not. So therefore, mortgages would be the norm now, wouldn't they? <laughs> but you know what mortgage actually means from the hmm. French? It means death pledge. Oh my god. <laughs> well, that makes sense. M-O-R-T mort. Start rethinking things, people. Rethink things. If you're gonna put, if you're gonna actually run with folks who got money or try to be somebody who's got money, and I am not here sitting pretending like I got all the money in the world. I just said that my mindset changed. And even with my limited resources, I am able to do things that one would be unthinkable because of the way I now have learned to think about putting my money to work. Rethink this. Debt is the devil. Do not think of ways to get into it. Think of ways to get out of it <laughs> and then to have some sort of cash stack that you can put to work for yourself. Because all you're doing is working for other people for the rest of your life. That's great advice. And I think that gets us just about to the end of our time here. And again, like I said, I'm we're going to take a break here and I'll come back talking with a specialist about mortgages and about how home buying and home ownership. But Freddie, I want to thank you so much for this conversation. It's always good to chat with you. It's good to see you even on Zoom. Anything before we go, anything you want to plug? Uh, I know you are a busy working arts worker in all sorts of ways. So what's the, the best professional way? Professional to- skills for actors workshop people, a quarterly event on Zoom. 
You can find it on Eventbrite. You can find it on my website, BigSpoonProductions.com, ProSkillsForActors.com, The Professional Skills for Actors Workshop. And you can go, we can go into all of what I was just talking about and the specific ways that you can now start putting your money to work for you, even as a broke actor. That's great. And if people want to uh, stay informed or stay in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? I'm everywhere, but BigSpoonProductions.com. You can find me. You can find links to everything everywhere there. That is awesome. For our listeners, stay tuned, and we'll be right back after this break. John is giving me a perfect opportunity to mention the Artistic Finance Patreon page. Now, this is where you can support me and the show. Now, with Nicole and I moving out of New York City, I'm planning to outsource some of the production of this show so that I can concentrate a bit more on the content. That way, the show can be more valuable for you, the listeners, and can become a permanent resource for the arts community. Today's episode is so great because our artist, John, is taking on a financial topic he knows nothing about. He's learning about it, and in doing so, we're learning too. Now, that's what I hope artistic finance can be, the place that artists learn about finances and where they can get any of their financial questions answered. And speaking of resources for arts workers, our one UK patron, Andy Lowe, provides free lighting templates on his website, Lowe.Lighting. There will be a link in the show notes. Now, the reason I'm mentioning Andy today is because this month he upped his monthly contribution to the Artistic Finance Patreon page. Now, that means the world, Andy. I know you're busy and you're a hardworking person, and I appreciate you supporting the show. One of these days, I'll make it over to London and I'll get to meet you in real life. Looking forward to that. Now, to all the patrons, whether you're supporting with a monthly or yearly pledge, all patrons get a private podcast fee that goes directly into your podcast player. It includes all bonus audio and early releases of every episode. Currently, we have early releases of our collaboration episode with Theater Art Life, discussing a career in theater design with Jeanette Hoysuk Yu. If you would like access to that and to support the work I'm doing, you can sign up at patreon.com slash artistic finance. And now for the second part of the show. All right, folks, welcome back. Thanks for joining us or sticking with us. Uh, Again, my name is John Lampy. I'm guest hosting here for Ethan, and I am joined by mortgage specialist Javi Khan. Javi, thanks for joining me. Hi, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. My pleasure. So we're going to talk mortgages, which is exciting for me as a total mortgage ignoramus. I know nothing and uh, I'm excited to learn. But before we get started on mortgages, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, what your background is, where you are and how you got into the whole mortgage game? Like most people in the mortgage business, you fall into it with some kind of crazy story. You're not going to usually find a kid saying, when I grow up, I'm doing mortgages. It's <laughs> <laughs> not usually anyone's dream. Um, so I actually am a New Yorker who lives in Florida. I'm a COVID move and love Florida. Absolute paradise. So I have no intention of going back to New York to live. I just go back to visit because there's nothing like New York in this country. <laughs> of course. I uh, have a very artistic mother and a very type A father, so multiple personality syndrome. Sure. And uh, my my mom's an FIT graduate, creative, ADHD, typical, and my dad's, you know, perfectionist, structured, type A. So I got both. And I actually went to FIT and my dream was to do set design. I was not going to have a desk job. I'm a night owl. I was going to do set design, love the show industry. That was going to be what I was going to do. Love just creating and recreating. So I didn't want to do architecture or something like that, where once you build it, it's there. So I wanted to just keep doing things. But I got married really young and had a baby really young. And that changed my plans. Sure. (laughs) So I got a job just to have a job. Ended up not going back to school. And the job happened to be in the mortgage business. And I just grew and grew and learned everything there was to learn in the business. No training in this industry, but learned it all on the job. It's um, coming on 28 years in the industry now. Wow. So you're relatively, relative, I mean, COVID moved. So relatively new to the Florida mortgage world. 
Uh, no, I did. I even though I was based out of New York, I lent in a lot of states. So Florida was one of the states I did mortgages in a lot before I moved because a lot of my New York and New Jersey clients were buying in Florida as second homes or their parents or things like that. So I, I always did lend in Florida. But since I moved, I obviously do more in Florida than I did before, but still have my New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, California clients. Got it. Yes. I'm, I'm told Florida is really the sixth borough. And that <laughs> one, at one point it or another, definitely is now. Yeah, we all end up down there. So exactly. So okay, so I'm going to start here at square one. Can you give me just like, like the real basic definition of what a mortgage is? Yeah. So mortgage is any type of loan secured by a property. It's not one type of loan. It's any loan that you borrow, and the collateral for that mortgage for that debt that you borrowed is a piece of property, any type of property. So it can even be empty land. Mm-hmm. It can be commercial space. It can be a co-op, a condo, which people in New York know what that is, um, or a house. It could be a multifamily house. There's all types of properties and many types of mortgages that are secured by property. So the difference is if you take out a student loan, if you have credit card debt, it's there's no collateral. It's called unsecured debt. So if you don't pay, there's nothing the lender can collect aside from going after you personally. When you have a mortgage, there's a piece of property. So the bank that's lending to you is going to give you a better interest rate, better terms, because they know if you don't pay, there's a real asset they can take from you if you don't pay. They don't want to take it from you. No bank ever wants to take property. They want to get paid for their loan, but that is their... They can do that if you don't pay, so they can take the property and sell it Got if, they, it. if they don't get paid back. That's what a mortgage means. That makes sense. And something that, so I live in an apartment building with 30 something units and something I never thought of was, oh, when my building was bought, someone probably took a mortgage out on this exactly. building and then our rent goes to repaying that. So it's, that's, exactly. you know, I I think my very very, very basic knowledge of mortgages is, oh, my parents bought a house and my parents paid a mortgage on the house for 30 years, et cetera, et cetera. In terms of mortgage rates, can you explain that to me? What mortgage rates are set at the time of the purchase, at the time of the mortgage loan? How does that go? So that also doesn't have one answer. It's all over the place, which is what makes mortgages so complicated for people. Because if you're not in the business, it is incredibly overwhelming. It's way too much information. So mortgage rates in simple terms are based on risk factors. So there, since there are different types of mortgages and different types of properties that are securing these mortgages, they're, they're based on the risk factors, ideally. Um, but there's a market for mortgages, just like there's a stock market. There's a market for mortgages. Nobody cares about John Doe's mortgage. No one cares about John Doe. In the mortgage industry as a whole, not myself as a loan officer, I take care of individual clients, but from the system, they don't care about the individual clients. They don't care about the individual mortgages. What they care about is how much money can they make off these mortgages, Mm -hmm. not in terms of the interest you're paying. There's actually a reselling business, if I'm you know, trying to make it plain English, there's a reselling business and a securitization business where mortgages are taken, put together into giant packages, and then investors invest in them, either parts of them, the whole part of them, different parts of them. They're, it's very complicated. But bottom line is there's a whole nother industry besides for just you borrowing money that is making money in the investment world. And that's also what's driving rates. The economy is driving rates. So right now we're in inflationary period. So rates have gone up a lot, just like everything else. The economy is not stable. So rates are not stable. The mortgage industry is not stable. And now just this past weekend, the banking system is no longer stable. So that's affecting rates too. Anything going on in the world will actually affect mortgage rates because it's an investment vehicle. It's not just a loan. You you yourself will affect your rate, your credit score, your income, where you're buying, what you're buying, what you intend to use the property for, the terms of your loan. But in addition to that, 
you could be the best client, best borrower, best profile, but the whole world, everything that's going on in the world is affecting mortgage rates too, because it's an investment for large commercial entities. Got it. Okay. That, that makes sense. And is also super complicated as exactly. you said. And it's, I tried to make that simple. That was the simple well, answer. <laughs> well, I remember, you know, just in a, the kind of tangential way of experiencing the 08 crash and hearing mortgage-backed securities and all these things right. about that, which well, that's, I'm sure, its own podcast or series of podcasts about how that goes. So I think for me, when I hear mortgage, it sounds scary because it's associated with debt and it's associated with, uh, oh God, how do I pay my mortgage? Right. But you, you've you've kind of alluded to a mortgage as sort of a tool, not necessarily a bad or right. a scary thing. Correct. Mortgage is considered good debt. There's good debt and bad debt, and a mortgage is considered good debt. Now, any debt could be bad because if you borrow money you can't pay back, it's bad debt no matter what mm-hmm. for you. But if you're being educated properly, you're working with a professional who's educating you and helping you and guiding you, then Part of what you do is figure out your budget. What can I afford? What kind of house do I want versus what I can actually afford? What's realistic? What's my target? How long do I want to live in this house? What are my future plans in terms of job, in terms of anything else? Am I going to have children? All those kind of questions are going to affect what type of mortgage you're going to get. There, Just like in any other business, there are good players and bad players. So it's very important to find somebody who's been recommended, who's trusted, who's you know, respected in the mortgage industry, this is somebody who's going to guide you and actually work with you on what is good for you. And then it's a good debt. But you know, sometimes you just go to a bank and talk to somebody and they just throw you into something and they've never explained one word. And we, we have a different language in the mortgage industry. We literally speak a different language. We use words that you don't understand. So if you're working with someone who's just throwing that word, those words at you, you're just sitting there completely overwhelmed. You don't know what happened to you. You don't know what you signed. You don't know what you agreed to. And then you might find out too late. So if you work with someone who's willing to speak to you in English and explain to you what those words mean and explain to you what your obligations are and what you should look for and fully transparent. And there's a lot of people who do that in the mortgage industry because we believe in giving mortgages to people who actually understand what they're getting. Sure. And owning a house is a dream. So we're not trying to destroy that dream. We're trying to help them achieve the dream. So if you work with people like that, and there are many, then it is good debt to have. As long as you've budgeted correctly and you're prepared for going into it, understanding what you're getting. But it is better than renting. For most people, having a mortgage payment is much better than having a rent payment. So... Like kind of square one question, but let's say I'm starting to look at a property or I, I'm, I'm saying, all right, I'm done renting. I want to buy a house, an apartment, a condo, whatever, some kind of residential thing. What's my first step from wanting to do that to applying for a mortgage? So the first step is actually speaking to someone in the mortgage industry before speaking to someone to a real estate broker or someone who's going to help you find a home. Before you even start looking at listings, the first thing you want to do is speak to somebody in mortgages who can guide you, who can help you understand how to figure out what you can get, fine-tune what it is you're looking for. And then you don't actually have to start an application, but at least at that point, you understand what you can qualify for. You can understand what you can borrow. You can understand what it's going to cost you. And then you can reach out to a broker, start looking for a property. And then continue working with the person who's you're dealing with for mortgages. You still don't have to apply at that point, but but that's called sort of the pre-approval process and just understanding what you can be approved for. And what I tell people all the time is what we can approve you for on the mortgage side does not mean that is what you can afford. So it's very important that there's two separate conversations. It's what in real, in reality, can I afford? Because this is my life and everyone's story is different. Everyone's numbers are different. There's no one answer. And then what can I get approved for is a completely separate conversation. And both conversations have to happen. Then you could go shopping for a house, condo, et cetera. Go shopping for what you're looking for and then go back to your mortgage professional 
when you start actually finding things to start fine tuning, okay, now we have a better idea of numbers. We have a better idea of what's actually out there, what's available, what we do like. Maybe it's changed now that we've been out there. We're going to start changing what we want. Look at those numbers again. Mm-hmm. And then once you're actually serious about a property, that's when you start the applica- the actual application process. Got it. Part of the pre-approval process is going to talk about credit. Do you know anything about your credit history? Do you know your credit score? Do you know if you have any bad debt, any past due payments, or maybe you have none? Maybe you haven't used any credit at all and you're not going to qualify for a mortgage just because you have no credit. So what do we do to build credit for you? What are your options? Or if you have old credit issues, you know, maybe when you were in college, you took out credit cards, didn't understand them and didn't pay them. What can we do to clean that up? so that you can qualify for a mortgage or that you can get a better rate. If your credit is bad, you can get a mortgage, but you're going to get high rate. Let's clean up your credit. You're not ready to buy a house yet anyway. You're at the beginning of the process. Let's take that six months or 12 months and clean up your credit. By the time you're ready for a mortgage, you're going to get a better rate. So there are a lot of things to do to prepare for a mortgage. And the earlier you start, the better. Got it. Okay. So you, I think you alluded to it here with, with credit. But my, my kind of follow-up question to that is, what are some common mistakes that you see that people either don't know or don't know enough about when they come in and say, hey, I want to talk about a mortgage? There's a lot. I'll do it by category because pretty much in every category, there'll be, there'll be pitfalls. So starting with credit, it's knowing your credit. You do need to have some debt that you're using that's actually active but you can't be overusing and you need to be making your payments. You don't have to pay things in full. And there are a lot of things people don't know about credit. For example, if you start opening a bunch of new accounts right before you apply for a mortgage, that's going to be a problem Hmm. because you have to have a history and that's too new. If you start closing a bunch of accounts, which people think is a good thing, pay off accounts and start closing them down, that's not going to be good. That's actually going to be bad. So there's a fine medium of having enough credit history, not too much, enough debt, but not too much. And making payments on time is the most critical thing, no matter what. Making payments on time is a critical thing. If you don't have a lot of credit history, there are mortgages that allow alternative credit, which is using your utilities, your rent. So pay those on time so that if you need alternative credit, you need extra support for your credit report, we can go that direction. So it's not just about having credit cards. Student loans are good. Leases are good. Car loans are good. So it's not just, it's not about credit cards. It's all types of debt. But, and anything that would raise that credit score. Right. And the most important thing to know is you got to pay things on time. So a common mistake people make is they get a bill and they're fighting something on that bill. Either it's not their charge or they return something or they want to return something and the vendor won't take it back. Biggest mistake you can make is don't make don't make that payment. Mm-hmm. You got to make the minimum payment. You don't have to pay it in full, but while you're fighting, you got to make the monthly payments because that will destroy your credit. It could be twenty bucks. It will destroy your credit. The dollar amount doesn't matter. So that is something people don't realize. The other things people don't realize about credit is anytime you are disputing something, you have to do it in writing. Any phone conversation you have could be never happened. You have no proof. Uh There are laws to protect you with credit, with disputes, but they only protect you if you can prove it. So it has to be in writing. So what I tell people is if you're having a phone call, make sure you follow up in writing, email or a formal letter saying, I spoke to so-and-so on this date and had this following conversation. Mm -hmm. And now you have proof because you wrote down what happened in the phone call. But to you really want it. You take names, you take reference numbers, you take dates, you keep track of every person you've spoken to and what you said and what they said. You put it in a letter, you send out that letter, and then you're protected by law. And there are a lot of protections. It's too long for this, but there are sure. a lot of protections for credit. You, but the most important point is continue to make the payments. Don't pay it off, but continue to make the minimum payments. Got it. So that helps to kind of straighten out the the credit aspect of it. Um, yeah. What What other kind of pitfalls can people fall into besides credit when they're coming in to uh, start so the mortgage So people make the mistake of starting a new job in the middle of the process. 
biggest mistake is deciding to be self-employed right before you start shopping for a house. Uh, biggest mistake. Don't do it. <laughs> so good to know as, as a, uh, uh, a podcast g- generally geared towards folks that work in the arts, most of us are self-employed, if not also working some kind of day right. job, side gig, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So if you are already self-employed, if you've been self-employed and you know filed taxes that way and kind of have your, your financial life set up around that, is that an issue? Or is it more an issue of, cha- of changing status, so to speak? Yeah. So uh, two answers to that. If you've been self-employed for at least a full year, preferably two, the guideline is a minimum of two years, but you can manage with less than two, you should be fine with a big if. So a two-year history is required. If you have less than a two-year history of being self-employed, and self-employed means you're a contract employee, meaning you're getting a 1099 or you're working for multiple vendors and accumulating that. Sometimes people don't realize what self-employed means. You might own a business together with a few people and you get a W-2 from your business, but it's still your business that's paying you. So that's still self-employed. So people, common misconception is I get a W-2. I'm not self-employed. You are because you own the business paying you the W-2. But as long as you have a history, so if it's less than two years, but you've been in the same field, so you're in some type of artist field, that you've been in, you're remaining in the same field, but you're now going to become self-employed, that's okay. As long as you have the history. So you want to have at least one full year tax return when you apply for the mortgage, preferably two. The big if is when you're self-employed, your net income is what is used to qualify, not Mm -hmm. your gross. So when you're salaried, meaning you work for somebody else and you get paid a W-2, even if it's multiple jobs, if you're in the art field and you're working for five different places or multiple shows or anything like that, as long as you're getting multiple W-2s, we'll add them up as long as they're continuing. So the criteria is the income stream has to be continuing. So if you made $5 million last year, but all the sources of that income are not continuing, you no longer work for them, you you make zero as far as the mortgage industry is concerned. So you have to have consistent income that's continuing, but we're going to use the net income if you're self-employed after you write off your expenses. That is very important to know as someone who's self-employed. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you made six hundred thousand dollars on your ten ninety nine. If you wrote off four hundred thousand, you made two hundred thousand dollars. You didn't make six. Interesting. Okay, that's that's good to know and something I would have never thought of before. So I'm certainly learning yeah. something. Um, are you, now you you've mentioned that you have, I don't know what to call it, a mortgage practice a uh, that, that you work across different states. So up here in the tri-state yeah. area, but also in Florida and you said California. What, what Would you say that there are big differences or is the process generally the same geographically speaking? Geographically, the process is primarily the same. The difference is um, going to contract. So the, the process of buying is different. The process of the mortgage is not. The differences in the mortgage process are what type of loan product you're getting. So, and again, if you're self-employed versus W-2 versus retired, you're going to have different income requirements and potentially different types of loan products available to you. You know, we talked about this newly self-employed. There are loan products for people who are newly self-employed or don't have enough history or or write off too many expenses. Mm-hmm. There are products that don't require a tax return, but you're going to pay for it. You're going to pay a higher rate. So there are options for people who don't fit what we call a traditional mortgage. Those are called non-traditional or non-QM because the law that dictates that is called Appendix Q. So it's called non-QM. It doesn't meet Appendix Q. You can get a mortgage. You're just going to pay a rate that's 1% or 2% higher than the person who can provide tax returns and qualify for a traditional mortgage. So don't assume just because you have bad credit or you don't have the right income or you don't file tax returns, or any other situation that you think makes you not qualify for a mortgage, don't think you don't. You probably do. There are options. It just might change what type of loan product or rate you can get, but you can still get one. Got it. Okay. Um, so I, I have to ask, because as I mentioned, this we're uh, sort of recording this podcast in sections. And my guest previous uh, to you has bought property outright with no mortgage, was able to pay in full, 
Now, I think in in at least in my fantasy world where mortgage was a scary word prior to this conversation, I always thought, all right, well, if 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 I get a windfall, if something miraculous happens, and I can buy a house in cash and then just pay off the property taxes every year, whatever the case may be, what are the benefits of a mortgage or the I should say, what are the benefits of of a mortgage versus relying on paying outright? So for most people, they would be advised to get a mortgage no matter how much cash they have. So I do have a lot of clients who have more than enough cash to buy their house multiple times, and they still get mortgages, and very intentionally. The primary reason is cash is king. So when we live in a world and we all just experience this, so this isn't even, you know, telling you, oh, 30 years ago, this is how things were. We just went through COVID and we're now going through a banking crisis. We're going through inflation. Cash is king. You don't know what's coming. And having the liquidity is what the term we use for people who have money. And the word liquidity means you could go to the grocery and buy food with it. You cannot go to a grocery and say, my house is worth $2 million. They're not giving you a carton of milk. Sure. They don't care. You need to give them the five bucks for that milk. That's it. You're not walking out with the milk just because your house is worth money. So liquidity is important and it's most important when the world is crazy. So we saw that with COVID. You couldn't borrow money right after COVID. Banks stopped lending immediately until they knew what was going to be happening. This banking crisis is now going to change lending. We don't know yet what the changes are going to be, but we do know there will be changes. 2008 caused tremendous changes to how lending was done. In all those times, people were losing jobs. Prices were going up. Didn't matter what their house was worth yesterday because it was worth something else today. Plus, even if it was still worth money, the banks weren't lending anyway. Mm -hmm. So you want your cash. Cash usually earns money. So in addition to the fact that you need cash when there's a crisis, time of crisis and you don't know if tomorrow is going to be time of crisis, and I don't want to be negative, but that's the world we live in, um, cash makes cash. If you put it into your house, you're not making any money with it. So if you're in the position where you have enough money to buy a property outright, you're in the position to invest that money in something better that will earn more money for you. Interesting. What, that's what people do. What people do is they invest their millions in some type of market, sometimes safe, sometimes not safe. It depends on their how much they would like risk. So people who are risk averse are going to buy bonds. Mm-hmm. They'll buy treasuries. They'll buy things that, you know, maybe they'll buy a lot of property, right? They'll put 20% down or 30% down on five properties instead of buying one. Mm-hmm. And now they have properties and that's their income stream. People do different things with their money. Some people do risky things with their money. They'll invest in stock. They'll invest in businesses. But the bottom line is that money is earning money for them. And if they just would buy their house outright, they're not earning any money. So even though they're not paying a payment, they're also losing out by not earning money. So by having that mortgage, you now freed up your money to do something else with it. And the interest is tax deductible. So for most people, they like that tax deduction. So part of your mortgage payment every month is interest, and that is a tax deduction. So mostly people who have enough money to buy a house also have enough money that they need a tax deduction. So you don't worry about that when you make $60,000. It's not going to help you, but that means you probably don't have millions to put down to buy a house either. So if you're in the position where you have money to buy a house, probably in a position that tax interest deduction will be a good benefit for you too. Got it. Cool. Thank you for that explanation because that... uh sort of fills in the other half of that for me. I'm, I'm starting yeah. it a two, two sides of uh, two sides of home, home buying that right. I understood zero sides of prior to a few days ago. Uh, <laughs> so we're rounding the corner here, Javi. And I just want to say thank you for jumping on this call. Thank you for recording My pleasure. with me. Um, you mentioned just a, a real quick bit here at the end that you're very passionate about financial literacy can you tell me just in a, a minute or two about that and what you wish people, because that's kind of the, the heart and soul of this podcast and this project, kind of destigmatizing financial literacy in our yeah. industry where for a long time it has just kind of been a thing you're, you're not supposed to talk about. 
Um, it's it's across this entire country in every profession. Uh, I come across this with people from every background. So regardless of the type of education they've had, the type of background they come from, and what profession they're in now, I have people who are considered brilliant. I have people who are in top professions, went to top colleges, and I have people who are blue collar workers. They all come to me knowing the exact same amount of zero. It doesn't matter. And they all think it's them. They all think, I don't get it. I don't know it. I feel so stupid. I don't understand it. Nobody does. It's not taught. We get credit card applications when we're 16. We get student loan applications when we're 17. No one explains to us what this means. We don't know about it. We don't know what credit is. We don't know how to build credit. We don't understand what good credit is, what bad credit is. We don't know. Just thrown at us. You go into a department store, 10% off if you apply for a credit card today. Woohoo. Great. So um, my dream is really to have education in high school, not even college. It would continue in college. But financial literacy really has to start, according to me, in middle, middle school. But at the latest point would be high school. It would be nice if the government would be funding this, uh-huh. but they're not, and they should be. But nobody understands it. I didn't understand it when I came into this profession either, and I learned it, and I learn more every day. I read articles, and I read all kinds of things, and I listen to podcasts. You know, I get the information wherever I can, but unfortunately, we don't have financial literacy in this country. We just have a lot of offers for credit and debt. And my goal really is at some point to get this education into the high school. And by the time kids come out of high school, they will know everything we just discussed, plus a lot more, because it isn't it isn't that difficult to learn if you're given the the education. It's only difficult because people are thinking about it, you know, when they're 28 or when they're 32. And it's very overwhelming at that point. Yeah, I would say, you know, if I had learned everything that I learned uh, tonight, 15 years ago, I'd be a lot less scared of mortgages and all sorts of other financial stuff. So we do need to wrap it up, but I want to thank everybody for joining us. Thank you for listening. Thank Uh, you. And thank you, Javi, for for joining me. It's been nice getting to chat with you. And uh, Ethan, if you're listening, thank you for having me on board for this. And uh, this has been another episode of Artistic Finance. That's it for this week's episode. John, yes, I am listening. This was an amazing episode. Thank you so much. Now, my takeaways from the first interview with Freddie Walker Brown were about her money mindset. Seeing Jackass 3 and understanding that those people are providing entertainment just as Shakespearean actors are providing entertainment. And there's no reason why anybody providing this entertainment shouldn't be getting paid and why you can't take a job anywhere along the spectrum of entertainment. Now, the other takeaway is knowing what you want in life. John has chosen to live in the city. Freddie wants to live on a farm. This all plays a part into knowing, do you want a mortgage? Do you not want a mortgage? Do you want to rent? Do you want to buy? It's all subjective. Now, for the second interview, my takeaway was that Javi mentioned getting pre-approval before looking for a home. A follow-up on that, because Nicole and I are currently looking into home ownership, Now, a pre-approval lasts for 90 days, so you have plenty of time to get the pre-approval to figure out how much property you can afford and then go talk to the realtor because the realtor is, of course, going to circle back and have you go talk to a mortgage person so that they know how much you can afford. Javi mentioned there are two approvals. There's what the bank will approve you for and there's what you know you can afford. The bank might approve you for a million dollar loan, but you may know that, well, a $300,000 loan is really the max I could do. Javi also pointed out the importance of making on-time payments. Now, it doesn't have to be the full payment, but even if you're disputing a bill, make sure you pay at least the minimum because that's important to credit scores. For those of us who are self-employed and applying for mortgages, be self-employed for two years to show a track record and the mortgage approval amount will be determined by your net income. And if you have W-2s from various theaters, that can be added up and used as long as those theaters will be hiring you again the next year. And for those of us who still don't meet the qualifications for a traditional mortgage, 
there are non-traditional mortgages available, but they're going to be a 1% or so higher rate, which is all more reinforcement of Freddie Walker Brown's idea of debt is bad for art workers, <laughs> or at least avoiding debt is a really great idea. An update on Nicole and I. So we have arrived in Springfield, Missouri for the summer. Theo took his first road trip. Now, according to the internet, it should have taken three hours and 22 minutes. It ended up taking us seven hours. Now, partially that's because Theo, but partially it's because I haven't owned a car in 10 years and I accidentally let the battery run out the night before. That being said, we're here and we're ready to light some outdoor theater. Now, if you're here and you're ready to get involved with this podcast that is now broadcasting from Springfield, Missouri, you can support my work by becoming a patron. Patrons get that private podcast feed and a direct messaging line to me. So if you'd like to join up, it makes a huge difference to our overhead costs. And you can sign up at patreon.com slash artistic finance. And for our dad joke to end the episode, this is an Ethan Stimel original why did designers Natasha Katz and Greg Barnes take their 2023 Tony Awards to the sauna? Because some like it hot. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance, where we interview successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the creative community. To access our show notes and resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. (laughs) 